Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to different creative types, and today my guest is a producer named Lottie Ferris Knowles. She's one of the producers of the upcoming documentary, Goddess, The Fall and Rise of Showgirls, all about the cult movie um, of our lifetime, I think. It's defining. So um, I'm really excited to talk to Lottie about all of that. But before that, I just want to get a mention in for the game, You Don't Know My Life. Uh, we've got a few free copies to give away for folks who do us a little favor. Um, if you're interested, shoot me an email at ydkmlgame at gmail.com and say, hey, I heard you on your podcast. I'm interested in the free game, and I will let you know the details. Uh, you just have to do us a little favor, uh, some online um, shout-outing. Um, Basically, you have to write a nice review on Amazon. That's, that's what it's about. Um, and we'll, we'll get you a free game. So, uh, without any further ado, let's get to the interview. Here is Lottie Ferris Knowles. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the beautiful Van Nuys home of my guest today, Lottie Ferris Knowles, producer extraordinaire. Hello, Dennis. Nice to be here. So nice to be here. Now, the last time I was here in this apartment, uh, or condo, whatever it is, you were having a launch party for the Kickstarter campaign for the movie that you're working on now. Tell us about the movie. This is correct. The movie is called Goddess, The Fall and Rise of Showgirls. And it is, we hope, the definitive documentary about that, you know, most glorious movie ever made, Showgirls, Paul Verhoeven, Joe Astorhaus, starring Elizabeth Berkley, Gina Gershon, and Kyle MacLachlan. You guys all know it. Come on, everybody listening to this, either you know it or you should. We know it, we love it, it's close to our heart. And I came to that party and I knew it'd be fun and stuff. But I was watching the footage that you have so far, a lot of the interviews and the moments. I just got so excited. There's usually one movie every year where I think, I can't die yet. I haven't seen blank. Mm-hmm. One year it was La La Land. I was <laughs> very excited about that. It mm-hmm. looked cool. And now this year it's um, Goddess. Excellent. So I can't die now. No, you cannot. Yeah. So you're going to have to stay alive into 2020. <laughs> oh, shit. So stay That's healthy. That's a lot. Yeah, because we, lot. we won't finish it probably till close to the end of the year. And we want to premiere at the 25th anniversary, which is yeah. 2020. So uh, take your vitamins, eat an apple every day. Stay alive. Yes, exactly. Stay alive. <laughs> now, you started working on this a while ago. And you're, oh, yeah. You're, you're producing it with Jeffrey Schwartz, a past podcast guest, documentarian. Hi, Jeffrey. I um, love you, Jeffrey. So when did this start? Uh, well, Jeffrey and I started a decade a decade ago. We were friends even for a few years before that and cheerleading each other's work. Right. And then when he was uh, just starting to prep Veto, which is the documentary about LGBT civil rights activist and author of the celluloid closet, Vito Russo, uh, he approached me and just said, hey, I like to get shit done. I can swear on this, right? Yeah, yeah okay. sure. <laughs> uh, he's like, you seem to get shit done. Why don't you come get some shit done for me? So that was a decade ago. That was our first collaboration. We produced I Am Divine together. Fantastic. And, yeah, which I love, too. I mean, both of those documentaries, so close to my heart. And working with Jeffrey has done, you know, so many wonderful things for my career. Um, and then I, I kind of was busy with other stuff, but worked sort of in other kind of ancillary capacities, if that's the right word, right. on, on uh, Tab Hunter Confidential and the fabulous Alan Carr. So at some point when we were about, when he was about to start shooting Alan Carr, 
he came to me and he said, Hey, you know, we haven't actually produced a documentary together in a while. What do you think about this? And I was like, Jeffrey, you know me and you know my history with Showgirls, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, this is a no brainer. You don't have to ask. This one, you could just be like, So we're doing this. <laughs> so uh, we were just off to the races. And so we started shooting the first interviews. God, I think it was. I think it was 2016, yeah. maybe even the end of 2015. I can't remember. So a while ago, because we were piggybacking, um, you know, like days if we couldn't fill them with Ellen Carr people, then we'd, we'd um, you know, pay the crew to stay and, and do some other, you know, some showgirls people too. So. Yeah, I got interviewed during one of those days. Yes, I was right. squozing in. I don't know yeah. if squozing is a word. <laughs> I like that. I want to yeah. start saying squozing all the time. So now. what is your history with showgirls? So... I have been a, a confirmed, my name is Lottie, and I'm a confirmed Showgirls addict. And so I fell in love with Showgirls the moment I saw it, which unfortunately, it wasn't on my radar in the theater. I think because I had just moved to Chicago from California, I was just, it was kind of a weird time of my life. And so I didn't discover it until some friends brought the VHS tape over to my apartment about six months after it was released. And they just said, you have to see this movie. This movie was basically made for you. And I just immediately was in love. I was probably a little bit more in the camp of people at the beginning of, oh, this is so bad, it's amazing. Yeah. But I also thought there was something truly amazing about it because it just... It was just like cotton candy for the eyes and the senses. And and by cotton candy, I don't mean that it didn't have any substance to it. I should say it more as like a, it was like a multicolored dreamsicle. Maybe that's what I should yeah. say. You know, it was just so lush and opulent and so much, so too much. And sometimes too much is just right for me. Right. You know? So, um... So I dressed up as Nomi for Halloween that year in nineteen. Which Nomi? The Revenge Nomi. Revenge Nomi. I, yeah, I've kind it's of the best always, Nomi. Yeah, I've kind oh of always God. done if when I've dressed up as her as Revenge. Revenge Nomi, Nomi is when Nomi goes and uh, gets revenge on a guy that raped her friend. Yes, when Andrew Spoiler Carver alert. Boo rapes Molly. Yay, the sacrificial lamb of the movie. So yes, so I was Revenge Nomi. And, um, fingernails, finger. Oh yeah. The whole oh, thing. to the gods, my friend. Yeah. I don't know if you can say to the gods about fingernails. I don't know what that I means, but yeah, well, that's hair to the gods. It's yes. It's, yeah. I, that's true. Sorry, drag Queens. I try to appropriate your culture yeah, and well, see what happens. Maybe just you shouldn't me. do that. No, I shouldn't just smack <laughs> me in the head. I just love everything that drag queens love and I want to be them. So anyway, it's a dream. So, I mean, I was kind of in drag when I was Nomi. Yeah, know? for sure. So, you know, I was like the annoying person then for the rest of the nineties that was just telling people, okay, you have to see this movie, come over to my apartment immediately and watch it with me. You can't go another day of your life without seeing this movie, you know, like a, an e evangelist. Um, and quoting the lines and all that. And so then cut to a barbecue on Memorial Day of 2000. And I met my husband, John Knowles. And we were too shy to speak to each other for the whole party until the end. And then we were sitting at a table. There were only maybe four people left at the party. And so we finally started this group conversation. And being movie people, you know, movies came up pretty quickly. 
And sort of as a challenge, I threw out the movie. I said, well, one of my favorite movies is Showgirls. And he said, oh, yeah, baby, I got towels. And I said to him, well, it must be weird not having anybody come on you. And two years later, we were married in a Showgirls-themed wedding in Las Vegas. What did the wedding look like? In what way was the Showgirls-themed? Well, we were in Las Vegas. Well, yeah, there you so go. So that's half the battle there. Right. <laughs> we were married by Elvis, which I don't think Elvis really figures in, other than Jeff having the pompadour, you know, the guy who picks her up on the truck. Yeah. You know, but... <clears throat> we told our friends just to kind of dress flashy, but I was again dressed as Revenge Nomi. You were doing Revenge Nomi? Yes, the okay. nails and everything, the fall and like the, you know, and then John also wore matching black and cheetah print. So we kind of matched. So he was, it was weird because we were sort of saying we were like Nomi and Zach, but really we were kind of like Nomi and Al, which is a little effed up. Yeah. But. Um, but we had, you know, some lines that we said to each other that had to do with that. And, you know, just, I, I, we took a lot of photos, like in very, you know, no, I was always posing in very Nomi-esque poses. And so anyway, and so, you know, over the years since we've been together, we have made it a point to collect a lot of showgirl centric experiences like, we saw sock puppet showgirls in Chicago and LA. We went to Peach's Christ showgirls experience two or three times. I took my mom for her 75th birthday because I just had to blow her mind. She to Peach's Christ or to a screening of the movie? Both. Wow. Peach's will do what she did the, the experience at the Castro in San Francisco. It was a live drag show reenacting parts of the film and then the film would play well and also the people who bought a large popcorn would get a lap dance and they never knew who it was going to be from and let me tell you it was they took all comers for wow. that yeah just for the price of a large lap of popcorn yeah that's that's a good deal but yeah unless but you know <clears throat> some of the lap dancers that you may have gotten randomly you may not have thought so but that yeah, that's part, san francisco yes and that's part of the fun yeah. So we did that. We were both in uh, Rena Riffle's uh, kind of unofficial sequel. We had Rena Riffle is the actress who plays Penny. She yes. was here at the party. Um, a, she's a delight. Yes. And B, when I typed in your name on IMDb to search, the thing that comes up under the search, you only have room for one credit under the search, Showgirls 2. Wow. Yeah. I love that that... I, you know what? If that ended up being somehow my legacy that... It would be fine. It'd be okay. Yeah, because I play Gladys, the homeless showgirl. Yeah. And it's a, an astoundingly wrong performance. Let yeah. me just say, there's nothing right about it, but I, I think it was probably right in that context. So, yeah, that was um, a, a great honor to be in that. You know, Rena is, has gone on to become this sort of amazing experimental filmmaker and she's made a lot of these really low budget but kind of you know interesting and funny and you know it very much has her kind of sensibility and sense of humor showgirls 2 is kind of mirrors showgirls in a lot of ways on a low you know obviously much lower budget but she has some interesting things to say in that too so anyway, I, I have to see it. I haven't seen it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, you must. And you'll see me and you'll be like, oh God, Lottie, why? But you'll also... I know why, <laughs> because you have to. Now, you've Excuse already me. been doing a lot of interviews. 
Uh, yes. Paul Verhoeven is in the can. Esther House is in the can. He, Were you there for all of that? You know, I have been in the room for some of them, but usually Jeffrey is in the room getting to interview people while I am sitting outside the room waiting to, you know, greet and get water for the next, the next person, person arriving right. or to... Um, you know, like sometimes we have someone who cancels and then I'm furiously calling uh, my list of people to see, you know, who else I can get in to fill the day. So I've seen snippets and there were a few interviews I shot just this past week where Jeffrey was busy on another gig. So I got to interview Robert Davi, who plays Fantastic. Al. Amazing. Such a sweet, sweet What a guy. coup. Yes. Uh, Lindsley Allen, who's another one of the dancers. Um, you know, so I have seen some of the interviews, but I'm going to be as excited, I think, as a lot of other people to finally see the finished film. But you would meet the people for sure. So you got oh, yeah. to meet Verhoeven. You got to meet Esther House. Yeah. And I mean, you know, yeah, and so a lot of, well, actually, no, Esther House I did not because that was in Cleveland. And we only had the budget to send Jeffrey and barely. Right. Yeah. That was actually me saying, okay, let's, I'll find some money so you can go to Cleveland. Because once nice. we got that, we were so excited and we thought, well, we can't possibly, you know, not make this happen. So, But you were there for Verhoeven. Yes. Did you get a moment to sort of say thank you? Yes. Well, you know, when I first got that moment, another amazing memory John and I have in our Showgirls Moments in Life was, I guess, I like to say we crashed it, but really Rena invited us to the 15th anniversary party, which was also the Blu-ray release party. And it was at this weird club in Beverly Hills. And a lot of the cast were there. Um, It was hosted by Playboy Radio. The only things to eat at this event were sushi served off a naked woman's body. Right. Or they had this thing called a licorice bar that was all these different kinds of licorice. So... And then alcohol. It was just bizarre, but amazing. But, like, the first thing that happened when we walked through the door after we did the little step and repeat was Rena said, oh, Paul, this is Lottie and John. They're married because of showgirls. And he turned around and we're like, oh, my God, it's Paul Verhoeven. Because we also love his other movies, too. It's not just showgirls, although that's, of course, the penultimate, our ultimate But, um, you know, we love Robocop and um, Basic Instinct and his... Dutch films and the whole shebang. So, you know, so we said, yeah, we like, and he said, you know, I just think a lot of people didn't appreciate it when it came out. It's one of my only movies I can still watch, you know, and we're just, you know, kind of agog in that moment. So, yeah, so I kind of had my really big geek out that time. when Right. I you got it out of your system. I was able to be slightly more professional in yeah. the moment, but it's still exciting for me to meet people and like when we interviewed um alan rachens who plays tony moss yeah the nipple on the ice man yeah both at the 15th anniversary party and at the interview because tony moss is my favorite character interesting uh, i he's like life goals for me like i i want to be tony moss basically I that kind be, of a boss yeah tough boss yeah like i i just want to say like you know, like, what are, they, what are these melons? You know, like, I just love everything about him. I mean, he's awful, but, like, in kind of a way I aspire to. Sure, you know what? He gets you done, right? You know, right? You know, like, as I, as a producer. I'm a producer. Why wouldn't I, you know, kind of want to emulate him? But anyway, um, but both times I quoted his lines to him and made him laugh. So, 
Yeah, the geeky doesn't all the geeking doesn't always you know get. So doesn't, you know, you're not, you're, sometimes it comes out. Yeah. Who surprised you that you've met so far or that you've seen <clears throat> interviewed? Hmm. I think I was just, I was surprised that we went to get Joe Astorhaus. I didn't know sort of where his head was at about right. the movie, about Hollywood. I still don't know a lot of what he said because we've been so busy since that interview happened. So you happened. haven't really watched it all, yeah. Yeah, but Jeffrey said he was absolutely lovely. He was lovely to deal with when I was setting it up. And I think that, you know, he had this such like a bad boy right. reputation, but he has been nothing but... Absolutely lovely. And Jeffrey said the same thing. There's a pussycat sweetheart when he went to interview him. So that was a pleasant surprise, Get both getting him and also, you know, feeling like such a warmth. From well, him. as a front, former dancer, I love that you interview a lot of the dancers. Oh, absolutely. Because they have fly on the wall. They have a take. Yes. From where they were. They were in the soup with the Nomis. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for talking to the dancers. You've of got a course. number of them. Oh, yeah. Well, we, we find that they had sort of their own culture on the film because yeah. they were all young. They were all, some of the dancers at the top of, they were all definitely at the top of their game, but they were some of the, the, the sort of most sought after young dancers in that moment in time, you know, right. a lot of them had danced with Madonna on tour or Prince <clears throat> on tour, you know, and they had done, you know, these other, you know, award shows or concerts or what have you together. So even though all of them didn't know each other, all of them at least knew a couple of each other going yeah. in, but we have some fabulous footage that a couple of the dancers gave us that's some behind-the-scenes stuff that they took with their little movie camera. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, both in rehearsal and them hanging out. So that's all I'll say. But, they, you know, they're young, and they're all, you know, they were... They're sexy. They're sexy. They're they, all over each other. They were working hard, but also partying hard. And yeah. it's just so fun. And most of them said that that movie... Like, we just interviewed Lindsley Allen, who is one of the dancers, and she was saying, and a lot of them have said this, that it was just the time of their life. You know, they just, one of the best jobs ever, had so much fun, you know, the, and they were all, you know, kind of over the moon to be working with Marguerite Derricks, the choreographer, because yeah. she had already, you know, this, that, Showgirls may have been the biggest thing she'd done Hollywood-wise at that point, but I think she already had a pretty esteemed reputation in the dance world, so, yeah, yeah. so it's very exciting. Um, I'm trying to think, but, you know, every, every time we get somebody... I just do my little jump for joy because I, you know, I want it to be as complete as possible. And I know that we're not going to be able to get absolutely everyone. There's still some people we are courting, which is all I will say. We don't have a yes or a no yet. So we're keeping our fingers crossed, but, um, we definitely have a movie. You know? I love it. Well, just the clips that I saw, um, were you at the screening at the cemetery when Elizabeth Berkeley spoke? Oh, yes. There's another I one. I really wish that I had been there, and I wasn't. Because for years, she didn't want to go anywhere near it. And it was the day that marriage equality, I believe, passed. It was. And there was a screening of Showgirls at the cemetery, and she came. And I remember watching the speech on YouTube in my car on my phone and just almost crying. Yeah. What was it like? It was 
was it the one Philip Philip Bartel? Yeah, probably. Yes. I think it was Philip Bartel. Hi, Philly. Yeah. Yes, Philip Bartel did a video that's got I think like two hundred thousand views, something like that. It was amazing. It was another one of those kind of essential moments in my showgirls, my personal showgirls journey was to be present. People were calling it Gay Pride Three because we had had just had Gay Pride, and actually I think it was like maybe the night before when uh, Doma was yeah. was overturned, and then that night was Saturday, and it just you know people were screaming, they were falling out, they were. You know, people were, like, practically fainting in the aisles. I mean, it was kind of this mass hysteria when she showed up. And she had already, you know, she had talked about it before. In fact, she just tweeted about this today because we were mentioned in this New York Post article. I did. I read that. Yeah. Yeah. And she tweeted a couple of uh, errors, let's say, or, or or things that maybe weren't fully researched, you know, into. And, she, you know, she talks about how she... You know, has talked about it before. Yeah, she her tweets today. She was saying, you know, she has talked about it over the years, but she hadn't fully kind of that like publicly embraced it where the fans kind of got that message. She had teased it a little bit before that night on her Instagram and her Twitter, but that night was the night where she just came out and said, "I'm going to enjoy this all with you, and thank you all for keeping this, you know, alive." And she was just. Just so lovely. Everyone we've talked to just says she is the loveliest person. Um, so yes, so I hope. yeah. Well, I interviewed her for Detour Magazine for that movie, cool. and um, I tell the story in the interview. I don't, I don't know if you've seen it that, that Jeffrey did, but um, it was originally going to be an inside feature, which meant like three or four page, two or three mm. pages or whatever. And somebody fell out for the cover, and we didn't have a lot of time, and so. The editors were thinking, well, can Elizabeth Berkeley be on the cover? Is this movie going to be that big? So we all went, me and the two editors went to MGM to watch a screening of it to see, like, is this cover worthy? <laughs> and I remember laughing at times that weren't supposed to be funny, I think, or whatever. But at the end, I was like, oh, yeah, cover. <laughs> you know? Yeah, good but for even you. then, I kind of got that it was like one of those movies. And I kind of even hinted at that in my in my setup, but because of that, they put her on the cover, and then I ended up getting to talk to Verhoeven as well. Oh, cool! And this was after all the rumors and everything about them were were surfacing and stuff like that. So it ended up being a big deal, and I really loved Elizabeth. And what I remember about her, we did the interview at I think it was called Book Soup Bistro, which was a oh, little yeah. cafe by Book Soup, and the billboard for the movie had just gone up on Sunset Boulevard. So mm. we walked from the table out to the sidewalk to look at it and she was so excited she thought she was gonna have her basic instinct moment or whatever but but she was dressed kind of in a black it was sexy but it wasn't too much it was a little bit business a little bit sexy Mm -hmm. but she was owning it Mm -hmm. she was gonna own the sexuality of the movie she was gonna own her own sexuality in a way that was really admirable she wasn't sheepish or anything and i love that about her and then after that, I saw her a few times, and she was always really nice to me. She mm-hmm. always um, she appreciated that I was nice to her. Well, she felt. And, and I think who, she got burned a lot, or she she, she, she got. Uh, she was what twenty years old when that yeah. movie came out, yeah. and for so much of the the blame and the um, you know loathing of that movie to be placed in her lap, and for her agent to drop her, and whatever else she you know she went through. Of course, her career. Her took agent a dropped hit. her. That's I what know. I heard. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <coughs> 
I don't know for sure. So right. I'm sorry, Elizabeth, if you're listening and if, if I got that wrong. But um, that's what I heard. And, you know, it ju- it was just completely unfair. And somebody we talked to the other day said that she, what was it? She, Anita Hill... And Monica Lewinsky were like patient zero for the Me Too movement yeah. before that all happened. Because not only did you have a movie where, you know, women's sexuality was out there, you know, and the movie was talking about misogyny in a way where a lot of people in 1995 were saying, oh, this movie is misogynist. Not that there's no argument for that. But the movie is also very much about misogyny, and especially in Las Vegas and the entertainment industry. It's about how women are, you know, fodder to be chewed up and spat out, you know, when they've served their purpose. They're used to sell, whatever. And, you know, and then the same thing happened to this lovely young woman who just, you know, what was her great crime? Oh, she decided she wanted to take a risk with her career. Her great crime was committing. Like, her commitment. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Gina Gershon had, like, one eye on the drag queen. Like, yeah, yeah, she, she already she, did. She yeah. kind of knew what movie she was mm-hmm. in. I think Elizabeth was so all in. Yeah. But and she there, was young again. Yeah. And she was in, you know, a film that was written and directed by two of the most powerful, sought-after men in Hollywood at the time, you know, you kind of think, well, how can I lose? I got to go for it. The yeah. fact that she committed so much is to be commended. Yeah. And Paul Verhoeven, I will say, in his interview with us, and I think he said it other times, but he says, listen, you want to look to somebody about her performance? Look to me. I directed her to do exactly what she did. She gave me exactly the performance. Yeah, in the, I... in the little clips you showed at the party, he talked about the staccato of her movements yeah. and the French fries, and like he wanted her to be that kind of yeah. that kind of rhythm to her behavior. Yeah, and I love what Peaches Christ said in her interview. Peaches Christ again, a San Francisco and now nationally famed drag queen. Um, you know that. Some people can't deal with the fierceness. Right? You know? Some people that should can't. be the tagline of the movie. It should be. Yeah. You know, because honestly, who could, who else can you imagine at this point giving that performance? No one. And so, you know, so both what happened to Elizabeth and the trajectory of, or, or what I should say, what the movie is about and what the movie exposes in this very in your face way. A lot of people now who are discovering it fresh for the first time, they don't find it, some might find it terrible or whatever, but there's a lot of people like millennials we've talked to who didn't know anything about that journey of the film being panned and, you know, the rise and fall and rise again. They just think that it has something real to say about the world. Well, I noticed that the other night watching the clips in here and just kind of getting sucked in during the party and I, it draws me in like a magnet that's good and Yay. I think when I first saw it I thought it was kind of campy and oh nobody's that awful mm-hmm. people aren't that awful now in 2019 I believe that people are that awful oh yeah the lesson of the it. last few years are the people that you think are bad are way worse than you thought it they were yep if you thought Harvey Weinstein might have gotten a little handsy with a few starlets 
Try a hundred and try rape. Try rape. <laughs> yeah. If you think Bill Cosby was not, yeah, like I mean, it, the list goes and, on and on. You know, even up to I, our current president. Yeah, you know, like her by the pussy, y'all. I mean, <laughs> the fact that anyone would say that publicly, let alone the most powerful person in our country, you know. So is showgirls really so shocking now? Oh no, it kind of mirrors reality. So maybe right. Hilton and Esther House. Are geniuses. We're geniuses. They are just way ahead of their yeah. time. I don't know, but it's 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 food for thought for the haters. Well, and I love that it's part of your movie as well because in the clips you show a, a little soundbite from my friend Alonzo Duraldi, the yes. critic, who basically says something like the world is caught up to showgirls. Yes, he um, does. And mm-hmm. it's such a smart observation because I was feeling it as I was watching the clips, going, "Oh, this doesn't seem that." otherworldly or campy or silly anymore. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. Yeah. And that, and you know, that, cause it's true. I do remember, even though as a young woman, I had had my me too movement moments. Like, uh, you know, I feel very lucky that I never have had anything horrible happen to me, like rape or whatever. But the thing is, is I think at one point, couple years ago when this whole Me Too movement was starting, a lot of women were posting their Me Too moments on Facebook. And I was kind of thinking, oh, well, here are some of mine. I've gotten off easy. And guys were, my friend, guy friends were like, what? Are you kidding me? That happened to you? And you don't realize, like, you know, not you, but, you know, the the the, 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 the royal you, you know, of, of uh, people in, in general and especially you know, straight men, they don't have a context for how normal it is, how pervasive it is for, you know, women to have these experiences that are really gross. And, you know, so uh, it is interesting because it's not that the joy is less of watching the movie, but I, even I see it a little differently now because it it didn't hit me as as a young woman even though i was having more of those experiences then it's sort of like from a distance i kind of i'm like oh yeah that producer i worked for in 1993 who asked me if i'd ever seen a grown man urinate and tried to get me to come in the bathroom with him to watch that which i said thank you you know i we used to do that for each other in second grade and i've kind of moved beyond that now and, that was you know, your retort yeah good that was pretty clever yeah and then i was relegated to picking up trash on set and you know and you got punished for it I, oh i was absolutely punished for it because there was another woman i believe on that film who did the things he Watch wanted her to do and she moved up quickly in the ranks on that film whereas i was driving to el pollo loco at 3 a.m you know which is i came here i came here from there so <laughs> this is no this is no slight on el pollo loco because it's national burrito day so if you it buy is. a burrito you get one free if you Ooh, have the app and I, fajitas. I know um crazy it, there was a renaissance the first one was like a few years after the movie came out and they would show midnight movies and i used to go mm-hmm. bill condon uh was a friend and we would go and stuff like that and i remember at the time thinking oh if only they didn't have the rape scene in there mm-hmm. like it was hard to watch and it ruined the silly fun of it yeah and now i'm kind of like no that's the point absolutely that's integral 
Yeah. yeah. What are, what's your thought on the rape scene? Oh, same. You know, it was the same thing where, you know, my friends, when they first showed it to me that fateful night many years ago. First of know, all, because Molly is so lovely and adorable. She's the, the, the one truly decent character in the whole film, which is why she has to be destroyed in this, yeah. in this vision. But, of course, you know, when I was first watching it, the first many times, you know, I was given that caveat. I would give other people the caveat. Like, this movie is great, except this one scene. We right, just have was, to get it through felt, it. It felt like it was a buzz killer. It of felt course. like if only it wasn't in there. Right. But now, when we look at it through the lens that we've been talking about the last few minutes, it's like, oh, no, that's just the ultimate... That's you know, where it was going all the time. Oh, yeah. And at least Nomi drew a line in the sand there. I mean, that's what makes Nomi especially a badass. She's heroic. Yeah. At that point, she is because, you know, she's been willing to do a lot. I mean, she's always been willing in the film to do a lot of things self-serving to get herself right. ahead. She's willing even, to use what she's got to get what she wants. Yeah. Even if some of those things maybe are bad choices that she keeps repeating and right. repeating and maybe doesn't see that she's repeating them, even because she thinks she's moving up. But, you know... And, and then, she's got stuff in her past, too, that informs Absolutely, that she stuff, does. Which I also think is very of the moment and cutting. It has to do with the damage that things can do and how things that happen to you when you're young... Um, manifest in negative ways. Yeah, well, yeah. the people are much more open about talking yeah. about that now. Um, but yeah, so, you know, is it easy to watch? No. Does it sometimes still feel a little like, oh God, do we have to see all of that? But the whole movie is, we're seeing all oh, of it. You know exactly, what I mean? Yeah. Like, so why would he hold back then? So, you know, listen, I, I completely understand if that gave the movie a bad misogynistic rap. If other people can't get beyond it, I've talked to some people who are there like, I really just can't get beyond that. But for me, you know, my understanding, especially now is, Oh, he's just showing like, you're never like, it doesn't matter if you're part of this world and you want to be part of this world. Like there's going to be a price to be paid. And this sweet young thing She's she's just going to be chewed up and spit out like the rest of them. So, and it's so satisfying when we get to the the, the revenge Nomi scene yeah. after that. But, um, yeah. But I used to always kind of laugh like one of those moments that just felt like too much that I would always kind of repeat was when they're in the, the hospital. The doctor's like, she has a concussion vaginal tears and you're like come on come on did we need did we need the vaginal tears did we need that but there you are that's showgirls you're in for a penny and you're in for a pound my friend <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know there's no one i've met making this that i haven't liked there's not a showgirls actor i haven't liked that i never you know what i mean when they're like i never met or whatever that i didn't yeah. like this that's the truth for this so um yeah she's phenomenal we got Nikki, the one one person that makes me sad that we don't have is Julie, Melissa Williams, but she lives in um, Windsor, Ontario, like near Detroit, and I just don't think we're going to be... And she has Who really, does she play? Julie with the braids. Oh, one of the dancers. Yeah. Oh, it was the girl that, that, that threw the beads. She threw the beads. The bead thrower. You think I can be your understudy, darling? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, I wish we could get every single person, but there will be some who are missing either because geographically it's just 
unfortunately too yeah. difficult. Some people have passed on. Uh, did the, did the Mama Morton with the boobs fall down? Uh, Is Henrietta, that what's her name? Henrietta Bazooms, Lynn yeah. Fitchie. We are. She's in New York, and we're hoping she exists. Yeah, we are hoping she might be dead. Oh no, she. Oh no, she. Yeah. She was on Orange Is the New Black. Okay, she was fabulous on that show too. Um, so no, she definitely is in, and so we just have to get a date when we can be in New York to shoot her because she's based there and doesn't really come to yeah, LA yeah, that yeah. much. Okay. So, you know, low budget documentary, these sure. are the struggles, but we are trying, like I said, very hard to be as complete as we can in terms yeah. of getting, you know, and like I said, there's still some people we're that all I'll say is some people that we're in talks with that we really hope will join us on this journey, but we'll see. I hope so. Well, based on the footage that I've seen, I think if they were to watch it as a consideration of, do I want to work with these people? I think they would be very impressed at the dimensionality of the way you're coming at the the product. Also the way it looks, Mm. the people, the intelligence, I think they're going to do it. I got an email because I'm a journalist. I get press releases about another documentary about showgirls. And I saw it in my inbox and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, what's (laughs) happening? And then I felt like, I can't tell them. They must not know. And I'm like, no, they probably know. Yeah. There's another documentary. But it doesn't sound like it has the reach. They're premiering at Tribeca really soon, actually, in New York. And, you know, we have... um, we're not in touch with them, but but we like we're following each other on Twitter. Right. They were also so the New York Post article that came out today was about uh, this whole resurgence of showgirls twenty five years later, yeah. and it covered this event uh, from this gallery called Think ninety Think nineteen ninety four. I think it is. It's like the Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan Museum, which I right. love that title. But they're doing a, a showgirls art. Like art I, I saw some of the pictures. <clears throat> I saw the article. Yeah, and that's at some casino in Queens. I yeah. wish to go. Oh, I wish I could be there for that. Uh, but they've been lovely. We've been talking with them. And then it talks about the two documentaries. And so I don't know a lot about the other documentary, but it, what it seems to be described as is talking about the fans. The who, phenomenon of it. Yeah, the phenomenon and the fans, which, of course, we touch on, but we also go through the history of it with the people involved. So, But, you know, if two fire Festival documentaries can release the same week, yeah. and a lot of people I know have watched both of those. Yeah. I watch one, and I'm, I plan to watch the other, yeah. you know. But we're, you know, coming a year apart, and there's room. You know, why not? Hey, the more showgirls love, There is in the world. But honestly, the more, I just feel like it's just more happiness. For you. Yeah. For everybody, yes. Um, I remember when they were having those kind of campy screenings, and people would yell things at the screen and all of that. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing to yell was after the pool scene where they would have that contorted sex. Mm -hmm. Right at the end, I'd be like, okay, now put it in me. Because the sex that they have is very... Um, yeah. It looks like she'd break his dick off. Yeah, she looks like she was trying to I break mean, his dick off. I mean, I know the dick is pretty strongly attached and all, yeah. but, you know. Yeah, I mean, it just... It's funny because I, I don't know. Like, I, some of the angles of it I sort of understand, but then... You, listen, you just have to be really amazingly limber like she was to yeah. be able to execute that. I would probably be in a back brace the rest of my life. I mean, I already have like a form of scoliosis. So like, that's just not going to happen for me. Sorry, John. But for somebody who can execute it, bravo. More power to them. Do you have a a favorite scene? Oh my gosh. Probably the, I'm Tony Moss. I produced this show. That whole scene where spread out. Let me take a look at you. And he just goes down the line. I'm erect. 
Why are you erect? I mean, he's amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm such a geek about him, but I just got well, him. he's got that rat-a-tat-tat delivery, and yes. it's so well. That's so the funny. thing is, yeah. I sort of feel like I could imagine him like just returning from the Catskills, where he delivered a comedy routine, yeah. and then he's in Vegas, like, okay, let me see your tits. I got a topless show. Let me see your tits. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, I love almost every moment of that movie, but but yeah, that I get really like excited when I know Tony Moss is about to show up and put those girls to their paces. And That's right. Back. I mean, and it's again, the things he's saying are so over the top and horrible that I would never, of course, in a million years advocate for anyone in real life saying, come back when you fuck some of that baby fat off. <laughs> but in the context of the movie, it's genius, you know, like what they're exposing. And it's still like, I can still laugh at that, you know, and men are that gross. Yes. They're totally that Absolutely. There's anything we've learned since then. I had, I remember a guy in Chicago when I was walking along in my 20s and I was a sweet young thing. And, you know, one of these drunk assholes outside um, the Cub Stadium, you know, told me he could smell my C-U-N-T, like the guy in, next to Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. You know, like, wh- why? Wh- where's that going to get you? Yeah. Guys, come on. Anyway, so, you know, so, yeah, men are that Men are that awful. But his performance is deliciously gross, I guess I would say. Now, how is the crowdfunding thing going? Are you guys on Kickstarter or Indiegogo? We are on Kickstarter. Nice. Yes, it's going very well. You know... Have you you passed your thing? We have. We're we're just about right now at the halfway mark. Yeah. Because the trajectory of Kickstarter campaigns, having done them in the past is usually if it if, you know if it goes well and you meet your goal and sometimes maybe there are those crazy ones that are just go 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 throughout but my experience in the past that's sort of bearing out for this one is huge beginning out the gate yeah out the gate crazy crazy then saggy and slow and you got to really hustle with like little peaks but mainly valleys and yeah. then the last week kind of goes crazy so you when know, does it end? It ends on the, at 7 a.m. California time on April 18th. Wow. And, yeah. And so the, the last week we're going to be hustling. I, you know, I've been, we've been really blessed with a lot of people. You know, not only have we create, you know, promised to create certain swag items to give away, but there's been a lot of people who've offered us cool stuff. Like Peaches Christ gave us tickets to her first wives fight club show in San Francisco and LA. A lot of artists who are on Etsy and have other sites have created amazing, you know, showgirls art, um, you know, or items like pins, nightlights, coasters, this sort of thing. And a lot of them have stepped right up to the plate and given us things. And so I released a few new items like that on Kickstarter this week that just went, you know, really fast, which is great. I wish that I could just, you know, keep doing that. Um, but we will actually, we will have some more exciting things and some of them will be kind of like little collector item type things from showgirls itself that will release the so you can add things to the kickstarter thing you can yeah yeah you just can't you can't take anything down if anyone's already bid on it right okay change it like the price if no one bids on anything you know up until the point someone does claim a reward you can take it down but you can add as much as you want throughout 
the campaign, which is great because, you know, again, we've had a lot of stuff. We had a couple things from Vegas recently donated that we'll package together in a little fun I love thing. it. Yeah. Is it so. stressful having a Kickstarter? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> it is. Are you kidding I'm me? I'm sure it is. How I mean, often do you check it? Every day? Multiple times a day? Multiple times. And I'm yeah. posting on social media multiple times. And, I'm, and you know, some of the, the posts are, of course, exhortations to please donate. Or, like, here's a fun item. Shout out to this artist. Thank you for, right. you know, giving us this. But then I also want to post other fun content like I've been posting the last year plus on, you know, just just to remind them like, hey, you know, we're not just, you know, shaking you down for money. We're still fans who love this movie, too. But there's a lot of preparation that goes into if you want to have a successful Kickstarter campaign. First of all, it does not hurt to have a known property like Showgirls that you're doing a documentary about. Same thing when we did it for I Am Divine. You know, a lot of right. There's fans already out there. Absolutely, that are hungry so, for it. Yes, but even with that, you know, I think some people think Kickstarter's like a magic pot of gold. Right. And you stick your hand in, and out comes the money. Right. And it's just, it's, it is not. I think you've done them before, haven't you? I haven't really. We did a, we did one for the game, but it was sort of our own thing. We weren't on oh. Kickstarter. Um, and our our needs were a little more modest, but it's still kind of like you know a crowdfunding situation. Yeah, and um, when you but with Kickstarter, when you you can do um, partial funding, where let's yeah. say if we only made it to thirty thousand out of right. fifty, we would get that money. Well, we did the all or nothing, which actually usually ends up being more successful. Funny enough, because it does give people a sense of urgency. Right. They're like, oh, they're so close. Yeah. What if or, they don't get it? Or I want that thing that I yeah. that I donated for, so now I bet. You know, and the whole point to me of Kickstarter is letting other people, fans, feel like they're a part of the movie and a part of the community with you filmmakers getting it made, which is why, you know, starting at 35 bucks, you get your name in the credits. We want people to feel like they're part of the journey now and appreciated. Um, but, you know, what that comes with is, you know, hey, can you help us hustle? Can you share this one more time yeah. on your social media? Can you email the link to three friends or, you know, whatever it takes? And, you know, some people have been just absolutely amazing about that, you know, tweeting it out or retweeting our stuff or reposting from Instagram or putting it on their stories and all that great stuff. So thank you. Thank you, beautiful people out there in the dark. It's happening. Yeah. It's happening. Um, imagine the, the premiere. Mm-hmm. Where are we? What are you wearing? Who shows up? Break <laughs> it down. Daydream. Uh, gosh. You know, I would love... I mean, I would love there to be some premiere or screening where we could have a lot of that cast and crew and the other fun people, the pun- pundits, as we say, you know, yeah. the fans and pundits, to all be there and just to all, like, you know, be able to go to a bar and have a, a champagne toast afterwards. And like like when they talk about Paula Abdul or whatever, like Moss is having his moment. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I want to... What's your outfit? You know, <coughs> excuse me, at this age, I sort of feel like, hmm... Like I, I was, I was going to go to a screening recently, and then I was unable to. And the cost—it was a costume thing—and I was thinking maybe I would dress as Penny slash Hope, 
at like age 50 ish where she's taken over running the cheetah so that maybe it would be like a smart black suit with like a cheetah print blouse yeah i like that you know all business with a hint of but, animal yeah, but with a little bit of the girls peeking out yeah you know sure. like for sure i gotta have the girls up and out but you know what still with the with the business of tony moss also yes. kind of incorporated or maybe i'll be the female tony moss i don't know so but i love a good suit so i would be happy power suit a yeah power animal suit. Thing. i support yeah. that i'm getting a little too old for the hoary look of the nomi revenge look yeah you know you did it i rocked it you back crushed in the day. it i crushed it but you know <laughs> like I, I i also am very comfortable with what's age appropriate yeah. at this point all and right there's still ways for a woman of a certain age to feel sexy yet appropriate thank you when was the first time you got to see it on a big screen Huh, that's a good question. When did I first see it on the big screen? Because oh, I, gosh. my favorite movie, one of them is Body Heat. And oh. I just watched it on HBO a million times. Yes. And I've never seen it on the big screen. And then when I went to see it on the big screen, people laughed at things that I'd never realized were funny before. Yeah. And I was I, like, oh my gosh, that's what, this is what it's like to see a movie in the theater. Yeah. Well, I wonder with that one, if time had, you know, I still think that movie holds up as pretty damn hot, but it's fantastic, you know, but I, I could see how maybe some people now would find it a little like old fashioned, campy, whatever, what have you. I think, so I'm trying to remember what theater it was in Chicago where I finally did see it on the big screen. And it was one of those kind of like midnight screenings, but it wasn't. It was fun and funny, but it wasn't as joyous as going to see Peaches Christ years later and that, like that. That was the most memorable one. Oh, absolutely. That and the cemetery. Yeah. You know, those two were absolutely the most memorable just because of, you know, the, the joy, the, 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 for Peaches, it was the elaborateness and care. If I guess elaborateness is a word, but, um, and then the cemetery, of course, got just, you know, everybody who was there, but then of course, Elizabeth yeah. showing up. I know. So. Whatever Gay arranged to get her there, I God. mean, I think a GLAAD award. They oh, should get yes. Yeah. They give should them, give him whatever. Give them the Vanguard Award, baby. <laughs> exactly. or whatever, whatever. The you Sean know. Hayes Award, the whatever Sean it Hayes. is. <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. Yes. They, I that's agree. that's some serious community service right there. Well, Dennis, they have their place in heaven. Okay. Let's be real. Okay. Here is some questions you picked from the observation deck. Okay. How did you learn the facts of life? I learned the facts of life really early because my dad was a scientist and he worked in um, reproductive. Uh, physiology and pharmacology, and he actually was one of the first, well, one of the scientists behind the development of one of the first IUDs. And wow. so, yeah, so he and my mom too, but especially he, like, he had this plastic uterus sitting on his desk because of his work. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. I just did a spit I know, I, I, he was drinking and he almost snarfed. Um, you know, and he was like, what's this? I wanted to play with it. And he's like, well, Lottie, that's your uterus and here's your fallopian tubes. And they just, they taught me, I think when I was five and I had that little book, where did I come from? Right. And, and so then I went off to school and started teaching other kids when they would say things that I thought was like, oh my, my brother's in my mommy's tummy. And I'd be like, no, it's in her uterus. He's in her uterus. What are you talking about? And then my parents would get a call from school and my parents would try to explain that it wasn't actually for me. And I was like, but why not? They don't know. And shouldn't yeah. I, you know, education seemed important yeah. to me. Even knowledge though. is power. Knowledge is power. And yeah. I knew that even as a young yeah. girl. I know. So, 
Yeah. So thanks, That's, parents. I, I love that there was a plastic uterus on yep. his desk. Yep. How model. big are we talking? I mean, not huge. Like yeah. enough, like maybe as tall as a Barbie doll. Oh, wow. You know, so again. It's all uterus. Yeah, and it was a pink and it was, yeah. and I was just like, oh, I'll play with it. And he's yeah. like, sure. Yeah. It's like, like Mr. Potato Head. Like so you know, that's your uterus. And yeah. These, this is in your body right about here. And someday it'll create eggs and you know like good get on him get on him okay if there was a doll of you that talked what would it say when you pulled a string well that's probably just tony moss lines yeah but i'd like to think it was a factory error that maybe there was some like little nicey nice thing that it was supposed to say but it said tony moss lines yeah but you know like those those dolls that have to be recalled because somebody slipped into there so i want to believe that my doll someone slips into the factory and reprograms (laughs) it with tony moss's lines that'd be amazing and a lot of children all over america get to play with that for a while before the before before the recall happens what movie did you see when you were way too young to see it I'm going to say Excalibur. That was one of the ones that my dad took me to in the theater. My dad exposed me to a lot of, literally exposed me to a lot of great stuff as a kid. But, um, you know, like I I love horror movies and, you know, that was, a uh, you know, there were a lot of those that I saw way too young. But the one I remember is him taking me and my friend to see Excalibur. That's the Sword in the Stone thing, right? Uh, Yes, but there's also the scene where... The guy who wants the king who wants the other king's wife, he's like glamored by Merlin so that he could appear as the king, and he basically rapes her in a suit of armor. Like he just, yeah, he like takes her in a suit of armor. Wow. Um, there's a lot of gore in it, so there was just a lot of eye-opening moments. And ex- did you yeah. have nightmares and freaked out? No, no. I loved it. I You're was like, it. I was seriously like, I couldn't wait to tell the other kids at school what yeah. I'd seen. Yeah, well, and here comes the girl. <laughs> No one ever called me uterus girl. Let's start that. Well, we can start it right yeah. here. What was your lowest point professionally? Okay. You picked so, it. Yeah, I did. No, because I thought, you know, there's been a, we've had a lot of fun here. Um, I am going to say a recent one, which is last year at the beginning of, what was that, 2018. Um, it was my first time having a show in development at a major network. And for a year, we'd been working on it. And not only was it just any show, but it was this all-female, written, directed horror anthology series that we were kind of deeming like fear through a female lens. We wanted it to be very, like, not just female-specific fears, but other a universal fills. Sorry, universal fears, but kind of filtered through a female yeah. angle. Love it. Uh, and and I was really excited about it, and I really, really wanted to happen. And it was really tough on me, and I questioned, you know, what I was doing with my life when it didn't get picked up to pilot and all that. And, you know, so I spent some dark days on that one. But then I picked myself up and... You know, here I am doing something else that I love. So, but you know, that one's always going to hurt a little. Yeah, in the it's me, an ouch. in the Me Too era, it seemed perfect too. Right. Like we were really addressing that, but through kick-ass horror. And so, yeah, it just that was that was a, that was tough because well, I sometimes wanted... I think those things. I've had my experiences with those. The way they the way they end, or it just feels like a phone call happens and then it's over. I don't yes. know. There's a, there's a way about it that feels dismissive or we actually found out in the trades yeah before we even got the call we 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 saw something in the trades about what shows had been picked up and we weren't on there which 
you know, it's, it's, this is a tough business, you know, it. Yeah. and you know, I am very proud of, you know, the tenacity I've had to stick with it this long, but you know, there's times where I start thinking like, okay, I, you know, am I going to stay in it? Am I going to stay fully in it? Or am I going to create another hustle for myself that maybe is going to be a little more stable? Yeah. It's always that dance that, I know you're, that. you're in. Thing, you know? Yeah. And I've been trying to create those hustles. Absolutely. Um, how, what, what keeps you in it? Well, I think the stories that I want to tell you know, and working most of the time with great people. Yeah. You know, I have been really fortunate and you know, that's the good and the bad of being so much in the indie world is you have a lot more choice over who you work with than if I had worked my way up in Hollywood in a more traditional way. The first time I lived in LA, I did start a more traditional way. Like I was an assistant at creative artists agency and you know, I didn't turn on the Disney lot and this kind of thing. But I don't know if I could have hung in there on that journey. I commend people who do or who become writer's assistants and, you know, and, and, but I probably would have had a, a better shot at kind of quote unquote traditional success in the business if I had done that. Stayed on that road. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But that but road can be not That fun. road is hard. And, you know, I, again, you know, to a, a, a slightly sadder note when I, you know, when I was doing that and hustling in my early twenties, my dad got cancer and he died fairly quickly. And I was in no shape to handle being an assistant at CAA where it's not a nurturing environment. That's you know? sort of like, oh yeah, it's cutthroat. Oh right? yeah. I was like on the verge of a nervous breakdown at that point. So, you know, and, but I could have, when I came back to LA many years later, I could have said, well, you know what? I still have to do this. You know, but I started from the bottom in other ways, which was sort of connecting more with an indie community, working with independent people, creating my own independent stuff with John or with other friends. And I had a lot of amazing experiences. Like, I absolutely don't regret anything, but the instability is tough sometimes. Yeah. You know, you have th these amazing years, and then there's like the years that are like, oh my God, how am I going to make my nut this yeah. year? And, yeah. you know, so anyway, so that was probably my lowest professionally, at least recently, that's still resonating with me, although I'm, you know, on to the next. What was your best day at CAA and your worst day at oh CAA? Oh, my God. Did I, you ever have any cool celebrity encounters? Oh, they, sure. They, I'm sure. Oh, my God. Um, my agent, the first agent I worked for was a television packaging agent, and he represented, like, Victoria Principal, and I remember meeting her and that being pretty cool. Um, I'm Oh, actually, well... Okay, so the best day at CAA was the Christmas party where I won a cruise because the guy who was the head of the TV department was so wealthy that everybody who came in from the whole TV department, it was like 100 people, got these raffle tickets and no one left empty-handed. Like the first people who would draw would get like radios for your shower, you know, like yeah, nothing. Things. Everyone got a prize. Yeah. But that was like VCRs, TVs, right. like it was getting up and up and I was down in the last five and I won this cruise. The cruise ended up being comedic hell that one of my best friends, Sylvia and I went on it. The cruise was awful, but it provided a lot of funny stories that are for another podcast. But 
I'll say one of the worst days was coming back from the cruise and getting yelled at because I was late getting back to the office from the cruise I had won at the office Christmas party. Right, you came straight from the cruise to the war. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and we couldn't get off the ship any faster than they would let us because they disembark you like Yeah, no, I, that's my world. I yeah, know. and so... The fact that you got like, yelled at for the cruise I was thing. I was in like deep shit for being late from the cruise I wanted the company Christmas yeah, party. That feels so Hollywood. Yes, oh it God. is. Uh, but you know what? Again, I'm not sorry I it did happened. it because it's one of those little armor. Yeah. How long was the like a three day cruise from Mexico kind of thing? Yeah, it was down yeah. in Sonata. Yeah, God, it was awful. But again, another podcast. Right. All right. <laughs> Have you ever lit, written a fan letter or email? Uh, my two best ones for that. One is in Chicago, I wrote uh, a fan letter to the WGN weatherman, Paul Somebody, who I thought was cute. And I didn't know if he was single, so I sent him like a postcard version of my headshot with a letter saying if he wanted to go on a date with me, he could. That's so hot. It's, Did you hear it? anything? Yeah. He actually emailed me and said, uh, I'm, I'm with somebody, but thank you. It was flattering. And if I were single, I totally would have taken you up on it. But it was kind of, both of these are kind of stalkery, although I guess that's what fan letters are. That's, that's the, um, bad, the good ones. Yeah. The other thing, which isn't exactly a fan letter, but I think it's worth noting, is I was totally obsessed with Jason Bateman in high school. Like I would videotape every episode of It's Your Move and the Hogan family and you know rewatch them you were on the bateman tip before oh it yeah it was cool oh girl like let me tell you like i was like <laughs> he was i had these fantasies of how we were gonna meet and like you know how you know did you ever think he's got so many so many dimensions if hollywood would just see it Oh, probably. or was it more like lust? I think it was more teen lust. You okay. know, like I was too scared to have a real boyfriend, and so sure. he was kind of the fill-in, right. like you know, all the fantasies I needed to work out. So, but I was really obsessed to the point where my mom was like worried about it and trying to like remind me that it wasn't real, and yet. I wrote this letter. So I was going off to Northwestern at the end of high school, and his character in the Hogan family was going to Northwestern. And so I, I somehow got in touch with the production office for the Hogan family, which is difficult in the late 80s because we didn't have Google, okay, right? Like, there was no internet except for maybe scientists and engineers. So somehow I got a hold of them, and I pretended to be a reporter for the Northwestern University newspaper, and I asked if I could come be on set for the day and interview him from the Northwestern perspective, and they let me. And they, I didn't actually get to interview him. I saw him, like, once at the craft services table, and I was too shy to say anything. But I got to come down and spend... My mom was, like, fine. Maybe Were they shooting in Chicago? No, no. no this was actually um, when I was still in the Bay Area where right. I grew up. So my mom agreed to fly down with me. To California. And, yeah, to, to, uh, to, Los Angeles. to Los Angeles to take me to the set, to let me have my day. She was hoping maybe it would cure me of which, it. Which was a whole ruse. Yes. It was a complete ruse. Did but they ever call and say, hey, when's that article coming out? No. Yeah. I think they were on to me, honestly. Yeah. But I That's think That's amazing that that happened. Yeah. But it was great because I got to... Actually, I hung out with the crew most of the day, and I got yeah. to talk to them about making TV since yeah. I was already aspiring, you know, about that. So it was an educational day, and it did actually do what my mom hoped, which is it cured me of the Jason Bateman obsession because he was real at yeah. that point. And I was like, oh, this isn't really going to happen. And then I went off to college and... Well, I didn't become... I was going to say I became a normal person, but that's not true. 
Right. <laughs> that never That's happened. That's a great Jason Bateman story. <laughs> Thank you. That's so wild. Yeah. Oh, I was obsessed. So into it. Yeah. All right. I once went to a taping of a show in Phoenix, Arizona, where I went to college, of a show called Finn and Friends, because who was going to be on the show that day? Justine Bateman. <gasps> and yes. I hung out outside. It was me. If you looked in the audience on the TV show, it was me... 50 Girl Scouts and maybe <laughs> one other person. Oh my God. That's and I so hung awful. out by her limo later and I had her sign this picture from Interview Magazine. She was very nice. And that was my Justine Bettman story. Wow. Were you kind of obsessed with her? I was. I must have been. Was it Satisfaction or Family Ties? Family or, Ties, probably, yeah. yeah. You've seen Satisfaction, though, right? I think I have. Okay, honey. Julia Roberts is in it. Yes. Let's let's talk about a movie that really is so bad it's good. Not I want to see Satisfaction. Okay, movie night in my place. All right. We're, we'll, we'll schedule it. But I love it. Uh, yeah, that's my, my so bad it's good movie You know what movie I want to person. have a renaissance? What? Coyote Ugly. <laughs> I don't think it'll happen, but I kind of love that movie in that same sort of, it's glossy and girls and pretty and yeah. dancing. I just, I remember seeing it in the theater and just not... I think because it was so showgirls light, yeah. I couldn't sink my teeth into you could, it. Yeah, it just felt like, yeah. yeah. But right. satisfaction about the all-girl rock and roll band yeah. led by Justine Bateman yeah. is a, an astounding film. Okay. This is the last um, card that you picked. When All was right. the time in your life when you were in the right place at the right time? Oh, God. That was just... Oh, shoot. That was just going to be my Tony Moss... Like, meeting Tony Moss at the 15th anniversary. That's a great story, though. It was, it was good, but we, we need not revisit it. I can, yeah. I'll, I'll keep telling it to people forever throughout my life. I'll be like an old woman and be like, you know, the highlight of my life. Remember, showgirls? So. I loved how many of them showed up for the 15th anniversary. Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly, like, Elizabeth, Gina, Kyle, they weren't there. But pretty yeah. much everybody else in the cast. I don't think Ginger Rivera was there either. But pretty much everybody else. A lot of the dancers. Um, yeah. Robert Davi. Paul Verhoeven was there. Rena, of course. Yeah. It, and Glenn Plummer. Greg Travis. So, yeah. It was... It was Glenn Plummer cool. is um, dancing ain't fucking... Right? Yeah. Everybody yeah. got AIDS and shit. Yeah, we got <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we got him, baby. We had he him. He was funny. I saw a couple of clips of his thing. Yeah, he has some funny things to say. They all have great... I mean, yeah. everybody has very cool, funny, fun, interesting yeah. memories of that film. And so I think we well, have... Well, they were there a long time, right? Like, it was yeah. a long shoot. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, movies of that budget, I think... You know, they were in Tahoe, Vegas, and Los Angeles shooting um, different parts the one thing I'm hoping I'm going to get to see, because we're going up to Lake Tahoe in a few weeks, and apparently there's some underground passageway at the theater, which is which no longer exists, I guess, or it's no longer an operating theater, where the goddess numbers were shot. But I guess there's some underground passageway by where the dressing rooms are or used to be, where they all the cast sign the wall, and it may still exist. So I am trying to get myself way into that so we'll see if it happens oh my gosh but that that'd be, that'll I be another check mark on my oh that'll yeah. be amazing yeah all right how can people learn about this campaign how can they help you get over the top you can help us by going to kickstarter and if you just search in their you know search bar goddess showgirls we will come up pretty quickly and then our website our facebook backslash as well as twitter instagram is all showgirls doc 
DOC, like short for documentary. Love it. So follow us. We, the content is good that you guys are putting out. Thank it's you. Fun. We try to have a lot of fun. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like because and, and that's the great thing about being a super fan, making a movie for super fans is you know I love you know pulling out fun clips from the movie or quoting lines to people and then they people I've never met but are now my best friends on the internet are quoting the lines back and so we have a lot of fun come join us come join the party I love it last question why do you make movies because they are glamorous the work isn't glamorous, but the end result still is. It is, right? Yeah, and I still love movies. I love TV, too, and I would be very happy. Like I said, I'd be happy to work in TV as well. But there is something about the excitement. Some people just start movie people, and that's great. You know, I'm not, like, a rock-climbing person, you know, but I'm a movie person. I always have been, and so it's living the dream for me when I get to do this. And when it all comes together and we have these fabulous moments, it makes the, the down times and the tough times and the, the lean times all worth it. Love it. It's yeah. been a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so excited this movie's going to get made and Thank you're the you. person to help make it. Yay. Yay! Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Bye! Bye! Thanks again to Lottie Ferris Knowles. Support her Kickstarter campaign for Goddess because it's the only reason I'm going on living. So it's on you. All right, so this happened. Um, last weekend, I went to this uh, exhibit in L.A. called, um, it's at the Fashion Institute of Technology or whatever it's called, FIMD, downtown. Anyway, it's all of the costumes from last year's biggest movies. Uh, so you've got Black Panther, you've got The Favorite, you've got um, Avengers, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. So it's free, and you go in and you get to look at all of the costumes, and it's really cool. Um, and I also noticed, you get to notice the details of what goes into them and how, uh, I don't know, the workmanship and it's, it's really impressive. Um, and, uh, they had costumes from Bohemian Rhapsody and let me tell you, Rami Malek is tiny. I mean, he looks like he's like 11 years old, those clothes. So you could put them in your pocket if you ever need to smuggle them into something. Um, so that was cool. I think it ends this weekend though. So maybe you can see it, but maybe you can't. Anyway, I was really glad I got to do that. And then afterwards, um, the friend that I was with and I went to this place in LA called the Manufactory. So it's this new development. There used to be a factory for American apparel t-shirts. Um, I went down to it. It was downtown. It's no longer there. I mean, the building's there, but American apparel isn't. But that sort of complex of these industrial factories they're developing it, and in one of those buildings, there's this amazing restaurant called Tartine. It's the manufactory complex or whatever. Anyway, it was like visiting another city or another time. We had a, a nice lunch, and so that was cool. Two, two, cool two cool things in one Saturday afternoon. All right, that's enough for this week. Thank you for listening. If you want a free copy of You Don't Know My Life, shoot me an email at ydkmlgame at gmail.com. I'll let you know what the details are, and uh, we have a few to give away. So that's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. <laughs>